you got a Bible, grab it. Go to John 11. If you don't have a Bible there in the back, you can get one. John is the fourth book in the New Testament. We've been in the New Testament for a while. We've been in the Gospels for a while because we've been following the story of God. I'm not going to recap it all um, now. We'll recap it next week a little bit. But the long and short of it is we've been looking for the Messiah since the beginning. The Messiah is on the earth. It is Jesus. He is Jesus. Uh, he is God on earth, and that's the time period and the place where we are. So John chapter 11 is where we're going to be today. We're going to cover a chunk, but I promise we're going to do it quick. Uh, it's just necessary because it's a big story, but it's a cool story. Last week, we talked about escaping hell. This week, escaping the grave. There's a lot of people that don't believe in hell. We talked about that last week. A lot of people may or may not believe in hell. Nobody can claim they don't believe in death. It's a reality, right? All of us face it and no one has an escape uh, i love formula one racing so does david allen so does <laughs> coach bradford over here uh we both we all love it and uh whether you like it or not if you google it you can see this one of the most shocking moments that i've ever seen in f1 happened in 2020 it was in bahrain sunday november 29th uh, Romain Grosjean was the race car driver who drove his Formula One car into a railing at 137 miles an hour. It split the car in half and burst into flames in front of the whole world. And when I'm talking about flames, I'm saying you could see nothing but flames. And you can't even see the car. It's just this massive ball of flame. And you know this guy's dead. And it seems like they're so long with him in that fire and then suddenly it is absolutely mind-blowing. You have to see it to believe it. Google it later. Don't Google it now. But uh, you see him start to pull himself up and stand up and come out of those flames. And not fully unhurt, but well enough to walk to the ambulance and everything else and wave. Burned his hands really badly on the steering wheel pulling himself out. But that was about it. This dude literally climbed out of certain death. And it's hard to explain what it felt like. To see that. Like you knew he was dead. And then just to kind of see him climb up out of those flames. But the truth is, he was on, it's still a huge miracle, but he was only actually in there about 20 seconds. 20 seconds is plenty enough time, but still, uh, it was about 20 seconds. He did climb out alive. Yes, severe burns, but he was alive. Today, that's not the case. Today, we're looking at a guy who climbs out of a grave and has been in it dead for four days. And here's the point to remember, because this is key now. And again, this is not scripture. This is just my plant, my, my light in the road for you to look at if you're trying to stay around a central idea. And it's this. If you believe that Jesus is able to raise the dead, then there's nothing in your life you can't trust him with. If you believe that he's able to raise the dead, then there's nothing in your life you can't trust him with. Look at verse 1, and we're going to go through it quick may feel like a bit of a fire hydrant today. That's okay. The cool part is the whole story is right here. Verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, uh, in the village of Mary and his, her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Luke 10 tells you about how they met when Mary and Martha uh, when Jesus first met them and Martha raced around 
the house working while Mary sat at Jesus' feet. If you know the story, cool. If you don't, you can go read that. In Luke chapter 10, that's when that happened. But verse 3 says, So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Clearly, they all got very close over the year or years that Jesus knew them. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God. Just pause that a minute. This illness is for the glory of God. Just think about that a minute. So that the Son of God may be glorified through it. That's the key to everything, right? I'm not going to camp on it because it's very blunt and clear. This illness is for the glory of God so that the Son of God can be glorified through it. The only thing I would remind you, we talked about a few weeks ago, is that God says he gives his glory to no other. Remember that? So if he doesn't share his glory with anybody else, why would Jesus say he's going to be glorified by God through it? They're the same. Verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So this second time love is mentioned here. So, <laughs> this is such a weird statement here. Now, he loved them so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. How can a loving God stand back and allow death? That's what he's doing. You can twist this however you want. That's what he's doing. Yes, Jesus is going to raise him. If you know the story, you know that. If you don't, spoiler alert, we're going to read it in a minute. Jesus is going to raise him. But Lazarus still died. He still went through death. And he's going to do it again. He's not eternal. So though he gets raised, he's still going to die again. Somebody special to you? Maybe that you've expected that God, Jesus, was going to heal? Or Jesus was going to make well and he didn't? Did he ignore you? Did he not care? Did you not pray hard enough? Did you not believe enough? Um, For the faithful, listen, for the faithful, God allowing death is an act of love. Listen, man, if uh, Molly might not want to hear this, but if, if I'm at the door, don't bring me back. You know what I'm saying? If I'm at the door and you love me, let me go. Because cause where I'm going is into the hands of the greatest love there is. Like, let let me go. Paul said to die is gain. You know what I mean? So so I'm not saying death don't, isn't bad. I'm just saying that for God, for those who love God, death is actually an act of love on his part. Also, love doesn't always mean doing what we think is best. God knows and can see other things that we can't see. Think about when you were eight years old. What you made of your parents as far as love and hate goes. Uh, no, you can't have candy after midnight. Well, you hate me. <laughs> you know, I'm going to take you to the toy store. Oh, you love me. As though love and hate were tied to things that that's simple. You know, that that's the way we tend to think of it. Fact is, this is love. Because God has granted Lazarus the privilege of displaying God's glory Glorifying the son in his life, in his death, and in his life again. He gets a bonus round that none of us got, right? Look at verse 7. Then after this, Jesus said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. That's back down. They've been been up in the north. Galilee's the northern part. Judea is the southern part where uh, Jerusalem is. He's saying, let us go back that way. And the disciples said, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. Are you going to go there again? Like you're a wanted man down there by now. Jesus is coming to the end of his life. Verse 9, Jesus answered, 
Are there not 12 days, 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Um, He's pointing to himself and he's pointing out the fact that while Jesus is still alive, there's time for the spiritual works to be done because he's the light. He's the light of day. And we can see through him. We can see by him. It's time to do the work. And the same for those who follow him as the light. That's all he's saying here. All right. Because night's coming. Death. His death is coming. Verse 11. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Disciples, sharp guys here, real sharp guys. They said, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he's going to recover. He'll wake up. You know, he'll sleep it off. Hot toddy or whatever. He'll be fine. (laughs) You know, I mean, he's going to be okay. Fear flu. If he's just sleeping, he'll be all right. And now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. So we talked about some other faiths last week. I'll give you some. Uh, there's a few faiths as well that teach the idea that when you die, you sleep. That your spirit remains in the grave and you're asleep. Um, but I have uh, several biblical arguments with that. I can give you a few. One is... That Jesus says to the thief on the cross, what? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Not today, you're going to crash out until the end of time and I'll come back for you. He says, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Elijah and Moses, at one point in the story, appear with Jesus and talk to him. We we skimmed over that. We didn't cover that one, but we skimmed over. You can go back and read it. Jesus And Elijah and Moses are having a conversation, which means the two of them are aware of what's going on in the world, not snoozing. Uh, And then another one we just did last week. Abraham, uh, rich man, Lazarus, Abraham, they're all having this kind of conversation. They're all aware of things. Literal or not literal is beside the point. The fact of the matter is that would make no sense if you were just sleeping when you die. That, That would make no sense at all. So anyway, verse 14, then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Let me make it clear for you, fellas. When I said sleep, I mean, he's dead. Verse 15, and for your sake, I'm glad, just, (laughs) I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. It's interesting. Jesus says, let us go to him, to Lazarus, who's the dead guy. If we were going to a funeral, we'd say, let's go to the funeral. Or let's go to the family. But he says, let's go to the dead guy. It's a weird statement to begin with. But Thomas, man, says, let's go with him. Jesus didn't want to go when Lazarus was sick and alive. But now he wants to go when he's dead. To a place where Jesus faces death himself. You know, these disciples are scratching their head for real. Like, what are we doing? But they're going to witness something, Jesus says, that will solidify their faith. Why let him die and be glad about it? Just think about that a minute. Because there's a prosperity gospel out there that tells you God would never do that. He would never let you suffer and die. Much less be glad about it. What kind of God would be glad about it? But I'm reading it. That's what he says, isn't it? Didn't he say that? I didn't put words in his mouth. That's why I love being in the word, because that's what his word says. Here's why. It's not about us. It's not about us. 
The most ignored truth in church, Dave Wiley's opinion, the most ignored truth in church, it's not about you. It's not about me either. You know, we want everything and we want God to bless us with everything. Whatever I want, I'm coming to church and asking for it in prayer and I'm going to expect him to bless me. Bless me. It's not about you. The sooner you realize two truths, I'll say we because I'm the same. The sooner we realize two truths in church, it will change everything in our life. Two, two truths. They're both texts, but two truths. I've been crucified. No longer I, but he. Number one, I have been crucified. No longer I, but he. Galatians 2.20. And then, as John the Baptist said, I must decrease. He must increase. Come on. That, that, that's, that's what we need to realize. And sometimes God's greater, got a greater purpose. But listen, a greater miracle requires a greater hardship. You gotta understand this. Everybody wants a miracle in their life, but you gotta understand something. A greater miracle requires a greater hardship. If you, listen, if you're wealthy and healthy and everything's great, what kind of miracle do you need? And if you're sick and he heals you, yeah, that's a miracle. That's cool. That's awesome. No, I'm not taken from that. If you're dead and he raises you, I mean, that's next level miracle, of course. But that also means that you must what? Die. It must, you must be dead or that miracle would never happen, right? You, you, you can't expect miracles without the cost of what's required to experience them. But look, Thomas, man, did y'all catch that? Thomas is like, let's go with him and die with him. What's Thomas most famous for? Whether you know it or not. Doubting. Yeah, that's right. Doubting Thomas. That's even his little nickname. Uh, you can read about why later after Jesus' resurrection. But the, here he's got no doubts. He's like, let's go, man. Let's go die with him. I mean, he's probably being a little sarcastic, but he's on the way. It's also kind of a bit prophetic because, listen, anybody who follows Jesus also has to die. Romans 6 makes that real clear. Anybody who follows Jesus also has to die. Look at verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So Jesus' delay here, you can do the math, but his delay here is less about letting him die and more about just making sure he was dead four days. Four days is important. There's no doubt this guy's dead. No doubt. Bethany was near Jerusalem, it says in verse 18, about two miles off. So you're talking about as close to Jerusalem as, as, as closer than the ASU is to us right now. Not far. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Obviously, they're well known. Obviously, they're well liked. There would have also been many witnesses here. What was going on is the Jews were starting to pile into the Jerusalem area over here because Passover was coming. And they were starting to come into town for the week of Passover. And they would stay in Jerusalem, obviously, just like us. They might stay in a, uh, just outside of town or whatever. So two miles away in Bethany, they'd be starting to stay there. There would be a lot of people starting to come into this area and seeing this. Verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. It's almost like a reversal of the first time they met where Mary sat at Jesus' feet while Martha raced around the kitchen. Now Martha's racing to Jesus and Mary's sitting at home. A lot of commentaries said that's because somebody had to stay home with the mourners. I don't think so. 
I, I think she's just struggling. They're both devastated here. Nobody's wrong. Nobody's saying anything about one person replied right and one person replied. There's no, none of that. I think they're just dealing with loss different. We do the same, don't we? We get hurt or confused or broken and sometimes we run to Jesus. Sometimes we just don't want to go anywhere. Sometimes we just want to be quiet and alone. Sometimes we want people around us. Sometimes we're asking God questions. Sometimes we're full on doubting God. Right? We, we respond different. Look at verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I've heard this taught that way a few times. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. I don't think that's what she was doing at all. I think she's upset and she's crying. She's maybe a little frustrated, but she's not mocking him. She's just crying. She she believes he's able. He's just late. Just like the cross, though, there's a plan here. There's a reason for Jesus to go on the cross. There's a reason for Jesus to stay on the cross. There's a reason for Jesus to go in a grave. And that reason is resurrection. And just that same way here, Martha's brother, there's a reason he came four days late. Same reason. Verse 22. She says, Martha says, but even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother's going to rise again. Martha said, I know that he'll rise again on resurrection day, on the last day. I know, I know he'll come back. I know he's not gone forever. But Jesus is saying he doesn't just have the power to raise the dead. He is resurrection. Did you see that? He is resurrection. The one that she's hoping for on the last day is standing in front of her face. The, the resurrection that she's hoping for one day is a person and he's right in front of her right there. And Jesus said to her, verse 25, this is my, two of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. I am The resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He says, I am. That's not random. We talked about it a few weeks back in John 8. He outright called himself, I am. That's the use of a word to point at him being God. But he says he is life. Presently, not I have it, possess it, I am life. Like right now, I am life. He is its author, he is its sustainer, therefore he is its creator. Think of what he's saying right here. He's calling himself to say I am life is to say I'm the one who created it. John 1 verse 3 says all things were made through Jesus and without him was not anything made that was made. He did it all. Colossians 1.16. Paul wrote, For by Jesus all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Man, that's a mind blower. And Jesus is standing right there going, I am he. I know your brother's dead in that grave. I don't just have the power of life. I am life. 
Greatest question you're going to ever answer. Listen, the greatest question you're ever going to answer. John eleven twenty six. Do you believe this? Access to God is by faith. Jesus is saying to himself, right? He said, are you perfect? No, not what he said. Do you keep the law? No, that's not what he said. Have you sinned? No, that's not what he said. He just said, do you believe who I am? This belief, trusting he's able to do what he says he can because of who he is. To Jesus, listen, to believe in Jesus' ability to raise the dead is to trust him for your own. If you believe he's able to raise the dead, then you're trusting him for your own resurrection as well. He says basically the living shall not die and the dying uh, shall live. That basically, the long and short of that statement is that means he's got authority on both sides. If you're alive or if you're dead, either way, he's the boss. The living and the dead, both sides, he's in charge, he's the boss. Death can't have him because it has no, he has no sin in him for death to claim and because he is life. That's what he's saying. And therefore, death can't keep those who belong to him either. If they can't keep him and you belong to him, it can't have you either. When we put our life in Jesus' hands, we get his life right now. Not when you die, right now. That's what he's saying, right now. Those who live and believe in me, you already have it. Romans 8.1 is one of my favorite verses as well. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Now, not later, right now. It's already done. And if death takes our mortal body, then his life will bring us to him. If death takes this body, then his life within me will bring me to him, and I will never die with him. That's a win-win. Look at verse 27. So she says, yes, Lord, I I believe that you are. He said, do you believe this? She says, yes, I I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who's coming into the world. And when she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, teacher's here, and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and raced to him. Maybe Martha's trying not to make a big deal that Jesus is there because he's a celebrity. On one hand, he's hated. And on another hand, he's loved and desired. She's probably trying to keep commotion maybe from getting out of hand. But either way, Mary can't sit any longer. She jumps up and she fires off racing to him. Verse 10. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but he was still in the place where Martha had met him. So somewhere just outside the village, she goes racing out to where Martha had gone. In verse 31, when the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they went to, assuming that she's going to the grave to weep there. And now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, and that word fell is like collapse. She just runs to him and just collapses at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, same thing. I don't think she's being hateful. She just hurt. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, that word weeping there is wailing. She is crushed inside and she's wailing. And the Jews who had come with her also weeping. He was deeply moved. That means like disturbed or or indignant, actually, in his spirit and greatly troubled. This statement is huge, and I've been wrestling with this one all week. 
even knowing what he's going to do. Jesus, even knowing, he knows he's going to raise him from the dead. He knows this is fixing to be a big moment. This is about to be a party. I'm about to raise a man from the dead. This is about to be awesome. About to have your brother back. Everything's going to be great. Joy is coming. But he's still moved. He's still hurt. He's still broken. Indignant. I mean, he's still angered. So many theologians point out that deeply moved here. That word indignant, what indignant means if you don't know is to become angered or annoyed over mistreatment. So, so they're saying, well, he's angered or he's annoyed. And that's because the Jews around him don't believe. And because the Mary and Martha don't believe in his power to raise Lazarus. And that ultimately you see he weeps in a second. And that, that weeping is just the responsibility of a mourner. It's a virtuous response to mourning or whatever, or to mourning and, geez, oh, man. How much more emotionless can we make Jesus? It's disgusting if you ask me. I can't stand it. Like, it's like a lot of churches today, unfortunately. How emotionless can we possibly make him? Like he's some, like for him to be sorrowful is a weakness or something. I don't believe he's angry at their lack of faith at all. Martha just affirmed that she believed in him, didn't she? Didn't she say, yes, I believe you are the son of God? She said, and nobody could have dreamed he's fixing to raise a man who'd been dead for four days. He didn't come over here and say, I'm going to raise him from the dead. Do you believe that? That's not what he said. Nobody could have dreamed. He, I don't believe they were doubting him or doubting that. He has no reason, I think, to be angry because they didn't assume that that's what he came to do. I, I don't think that's the case. I think he's mad at death. I think he's angry at the cruelty of death and the pain is causing people, especially the people that he loves. You know, I got you guys been to my house. You know, I got dogs. I love dogs. I've always had German shepherds, except for this one recently. But I've always had German shepherds. Uh, We've had several die in our lifetime just because they get older or whatever reason. Every time they do. I just talk about how much I hate sin. I I feel like in my heart, this is just me, but I get reminded, man, I hate sin. Because death is in this world because of sin. And I hate it. It makes me mad. And you're the same way. You may be like, well, I'm not a dog guy. That doesn't matter. You You watch a TV show or something where a lion takes down a weak wildebeest or a small baby animal of some kind or maybe an alligator yanks it out of the water while it's drinking yeah it's sad but it also angers you if you're honest something about it that's frustrating and distasteful and and i think that's what jesus is dealing with here like this sense of anger at death verse 34 he said where have you laid him Again, I think he's saying that out of anger. Where where did you place him? Like he's, he's frustrated and he's upset and he's grieved. And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Assuming he wants to go mourn there. And then Jesus wept. Verse 35, shortest verse in the Bible. Uh, it's a different verse from wailing. These are like quiet tears. Like he's he's choking it back a little bit. and it, But he's crying. He's upset and he's hurt. Verse 36, so the Jews said... Look at how he loved him. But his mother said, could he not have opened the eyes of the blind man? I mean, 
Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also kept this man from dying? Some see his compassionate love here. Some mock his refusal to act. That's the same way it goes today. People's response to Jesus is always split. But he had true emotions here, like us as a human. And don't forget, God has emotions too. If you don't believe that, you better start reading the book again. Start at the beginning. God has emotions too. Our emotions come from him. The problem is, our emotions are all filtered through sin. And out of control and selfish and all these other things. But he has them too. And listen, if you're a minister, pastor, teacher of the word, you better show some emotion. If you're a believer in Christ, you better show some emotion. How sad that so many of our churches and church leaders have no emotion whatsoever. Dry, somber place. That's one reason why I'm encouraging y'all to clap after music. I want us to be joyful. You know, if we're in the Old Testament... This is a side note, but a quick one. If we were in the Old Testament, outside the temple, whenever they would sing the songs, at the conclusion of the songs, the whole congregation would raise their hands and shout. We can do that if you prefer. You know, I think clapping is probably more applicable. But anyway, my point being, stand in here and stare at a brick wall emotionless. I wonder why people don't get excited about coming to your church. You know, I mean, Jesus showed emotion here, not not to create manufactured feelings to try to get people's wallets or to do whatever. None of that. He just genuinely hurt for those who were around. Verse 38. Then Jesus deeply moved again, again, angry again. He sees the tomb. He approaches it. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. (laughs) Wait, what? Wait. What? Let's put that in modern day words. Dig them up. You know, Martha, the sister of the dead man said, yo, Lord, by this time there's going to be an odor. He's been dead four days. That's the whole point of the four days. Decay has started. That's what causes the odor. So decay has begun on this dude. Like Not to be gross, but that's the point. How gruesome would this have been? The horror of death is going to be fully displayed again. Visible for everybody to see. Even the smell. I'm just saying, that's, that's what... The whole point here is there's no question this dude is dead. Zero question. And how offended do you think these Jews were? I mean, he, even in our context, like I said, you, you got a family mourning at the, the, at the grave, and, and you're going to go out there and say, four days later, and say, hey, man, dig this thing up. Dude, I don't think so. And having a cave here was no small thing. Either they carved it themselves or they found one and bought it. Either way, it's more evidence that they were, this was a very wealthy man, Lazarus was. He wasn't poor. But I think mentioning the cave and the stone are less about his wealth and more about what's to come. If you know what's ahead with Jesus, you know what's to come. In only a few days, Jesus is going to speak from within his tomb and say, roll away the stone. And angels are going to descend and the earth itself is going to respond and move that rock. You're going to hear it when we get there. Twice it's stated here that his body was in that grave four days. The Jews also had a belief that the souls of people lingered over their dead body for three full days. Uh, 
to see if maybe a miracle might happen and they can rejoin their body and come back. That was a belief that they had. But after four days, after three days, if there were no miracle, then that soul would depart and leave. So Jesus, knowing that also perhaps, waited four days. There's no way whatsoever to explain this one off. Not to mention the fact there were lots of witnesses this was not done in private. This was done in front of a lot of people. If this not had happened, it wouldn't be in your Bible because it would have been discredited immediately. That never happened. What are you talking about? He died. He's grave. What do you mean? There were witnesses everywhere. Look what it says. Verse 40. Jesus said to her, did not tell you that if you believe, it's by faith. If you believe, you'll see the glory of God. Jesus said this led to him being glorified. And now that if you believe in him, you're going to see the glory of God. Think about that. This is not about Lazarus. This is about Jesus is the glory of God. Hebrews 1 verse 3. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word Spoken the word of his power. Man, we could meditate on that one a long time, huh? Look at verse 41, John 11. So he took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard. Do you see that? Past tense. Have heard me. I knew, past tense, that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. His prayer here is to point out that he is not separate from the Father He is not another God. He's not instead of God. They are one. They're acting together on this. His prayer is all past tense. This has already been discussed between him and the Father. This is already the plan. He's just executing the plan. The prayer is now just to make everyone there know he's united with God in this. Verse 43. When he said these things, cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus shouts it, come out, shouts it. Did it echo? Did it, you know, off the walls? I don't know, but he shouts it. Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out. Beautiful words in your Bible. His hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. He proves his power over death. He proves he's the author of all life. He proves he is the creator, God. How did he raise Lazarus? Lightning bolts from his hands. Let there be life. And there was life. He spoke. The same way he created everything in Genesis, he spoke. Lazarus come out and he who had tied came out. I think if Jesus just said come out and didn't say Lazarus, everything dead would have come out of the ground. My opinion, if he'd said, come out, all death on earth would have obeyed him and come out of the ground. But he said, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man, the one who had died, came out. It's the theme of the whole Bible. Resurrection, first Christ, and then those who follow him. Jesus had the people take off the grave clothes. I think that's so they can touch him. He's no ghost. It's him. Feel his body. Feel his arms. Pull that stuff off. It's him verifying the miracle. Hands touching skin. You know it's him. Listen, if you believe that Jesus is able to raise the dead, then there's nothing in your life you can't trust him with. 
What's in your life right now you don't want to trust him with? Job, income, family, your future. If if he can conquer death, if you believe, I know he can. The question is not if he can. The question is if you believe he can. If you truly believe he can, there's nothing you can't trust him with. Stand up with me. We're going to close this up. It's an amazing story. You can read it again uh, in your own time and think on it. But before we go, I want you to think a second on this. And if you don't mind, as I always do, just close your eyes. Not Again, not about being dramatic, just about taking a moment to yourself. I know the team's coming back up to lead. That's okay. Just want you to focus a moment. I'm doing it too. Just focus a moment on what's being said about Jesus in this passage. And listen, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, there's no better picture of the gospel than this. I love the picture. Picture this. The Bible says that we're dead in our sins and trespasses. You may not realize it, but I'm here to tell you today, if you've sinned, you're dead already. Dead are you're in a grave. We all have. I have too. All have sinned and fallen short. You are in the grave. You are in a dark place. A place that smells of rot and decay and hopelessness. The stone sealing you in. And then there's a sound. And a noise. And the rock starts to move. And light busts in through the crack. Almost blinding. And then it opens all the way up. And light pours into the whole cave. Lights the whole thing up. Your grave is fully lit. And you see Jesus standing there with his hand stretched out into your grave from the light, pouring in behind him. And he says your name. Come here. I love you. That's the gospel. If that's you today, if you know that's you today, man, stand up and take his hand. Put, put your hand out and grab his hand. Tell him, Jesus, I'm with you. I do believe. I do believe. Lord, you are awesome. Thank you for the story of Lazarus. Thank you in a side cool note that one day we'll get to meet him and hear the story again from him. Those who believe you and follow you. Lord, thank you for recording things like this that we can see you more and know you well. Lord, we love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.